Welcome back to the Australian Rotary Health podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. I'm Jessica Cooper and today on episode 45, we welcome Dr. Nicole Hill from the Telethon Kids Institute. Dr. Nicole Hill was awarded an Australian Rotary Health Funding Partner PhD scholarship from 2017 to 2020, co-funded by the Rotary Club of Smithton and the University of Melbourne. Nicole's project was a nationwide study on suicide clusters in Australian youth specifically looking at risk factors and cluster prevention. Nicole is now a research fellow in youth suicide prevention and works with the youth mental health team at the Telethon Institute. Nicole's research involves preventing the occurrence of self-harm and suicide in young people and working with communities and stakeholders to improve equal access to healthcare services among vulnerable Australians. So thank you very much, Nicole, for joining me on the podcast today. Um, it's good to see you again. How have you been? Yeah, it's been good. I've um, moved over here to Western Australia straight after my PhD and haven't been able to cross the border since. <laughs> uh, yeah. So all your family are in Sydney? or? Yeah, that's right. Yep, the family's in Sydney and I've got them visiting um, next week, actually, which will be, be nice. It's been nearly 18 months since I've seen them. Oh, wow. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, that will be good to see them. Um, I, I know, yeah, you, you've probably, you've moved on to a new position now, but it, yeah, I'm really um, excited to talk to you about your PhD today and it was on such an important topic. Um, so I guess maybe to start off, would you like to tell us um, why you chose to focus specifically on suicide clusters um, during your PhD? Yeah, I think um, the choice to focus on suicide clusters is um, really comes down to the fact that suicide is the leading cause of death in young people under the age of 25. Um, and so it's a really important issue. And what that means is that if we look at other causes of death in young people, whether it be accidents um, or chronic illnesses, suicide still accounts for the largest proportion of those deaths. And when it comes to suicide clusters, um, we see this as, um, I guess, a phenomenon that is particularly common in young people, um, particularly those who have been exposed to the suicide of a friend or peer. Um, and so we see this combined with the fact that suicide is such an important um, issue within this population, focusing on suicide clusters was an important next step, given that communities are often um, quite concerned uh, when a cluster does occur. And the way a community responds to a suicide cluster can also have important implications for the prevention um, or reoccurrence of suicidal behaviour in the community. So that was really the, the reasons underlying my PhD in that space. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, as I said, yeah, it's a very important topic. And, and your project was, was looking at risk factors and, and suicide cluster prevention. Um, so I guess, could you tell us about some of the research questions that you came up for your project and the methods that you used to try and answer them? Yeah, um, so my PhD was funded by a community that was actually concerned um, about the possibility of a suicide cluster emerging there. And when I was looking for ways that we might be able to help them um, and guide their response, um, we found quite a lot of inconsistencies and uncertainties around suicide clusters, how they operate. Um, and how we can detect them and quite importantly, how to prevent them. 
Um, so some of the key questions that emerged from, from this was the role of exposure to suicide. Um, so previously, a lot of studies um, has, have proposed that young people who are exposed to suicide are at risk themselves. Um, and this was previously known as suicide contagion, although we've moved away from that terminology now, um, especially with COVID and the, the connotations around contagion um, towards a more social transmission model of suicidal behaviour. So we really wanted to investigate whether exposure to suicide was a significant risk factor. And the second part of my research sought to identify whether we could detect that in the emergence of suicide clusters across um, a nationwide study. So this involved looking at over three and a half thousand suicide deaths that occurred in young people over a 10 year period. And this was using data recorded by the National Coronial Information System. So whenever there is a suicide, um, that information gets recorded into this system and that involves police reports, coroner's reports and toxicology findings amongst other demographic information for each of those individual suicides. So we were using that information to first identify where those suicide clusters were occurring in Australia, what role exposure to suicide um, played in the emergence of those clusters, and also what are the risk factors and characteristics of young people who died by suicide and were, were involved in those clusters. Yeah, it sounds like you had um, quite a big data set to work with and there were a lot of um, different questions that you could answer with that. So I guess with the questions that, that were part of your PhD, what sort of findings came out of that? Um, so I guess the, the first question, which was really examining whether exposure to suicide was associated with an increased risk of subsequent suicide and self-harm in others. Um, so we used a, a, a technique called a meta-analysis, and this was drawing on the findings from other studies within the field. Um, and we had over a million um, individual, I guess, data points to examine this research question. And what we found was exposure to suicide was associated with a threefold increased risk of subsequent suicide and suicide attempt in others. Um, we also found in this study that exposure to suicide attempt also increased the risk of suicide attempt in others. Um, and this finding was really important because we were able to say with a degree of, I guess, confidence that this is an important risk factor and that young people who are exposed to suicide ought to receive um, support and interventions during that, that period of, of, of risk. Um, in terms of this second part of the study, so this was looking at the occurrence of suicide clusters specifically um, in Australia using information on young people who had died by suicide. Um, in this study, we looked at three different techniques for determining suicide clusters. And what we wanted to know was what rates of exposure um, could be detected within each of those. What we found um, was quite interesting, and that was that um, not all clusters, I guess, are created equal, and that different techniques will reveal different locations of suicide clusters, but also the rates of exposure do differ between each cluster. So what that means is that not every single suicide cluster will involve um, young people who know each other or were linked to one another and being able to distinguish the types of risk factors underlying each cluster could have quite important implications for preventing them. Um, the third piece of research 
was then looking at the risk factors associated with those suicide clusters where there were high rates of exposure or linkages between young people who died by suicide. So what this involved was looking at the characteristics of young people who had lost a friend to suicide and died themselves by suicide. And this was perhaps one of the, the most interesting studies because what we found was that 50% of young people who died by suicide and had lost a friend or peer um, lived within 10 kilometres of one another. So we had evidence of quite close geographic proximity. The second finding was that young people who died by suicide and had lost a friend or peer um, died within the first 90 days, 50% of them had died within the first 90 days. So we, we kind of view this period as quite a critical window of opportunity um, for, for preventing subsequent deaths in young people who have been exposed. And we also found that exposure to particularly violent forms of suicide, such as railway suicide, um, was, was quite a significant risk factor in terms of the choice of method in those who were exposed. So we saw an 80% concordance between young people who had been exposed to a railway suicide of a friend and, and chose that method themselves. Um, and of those who did subsequently die, they weren't necessarily young people who had prior mental health um, risk factors. And this is quite important when we're thinking about identifying young people who may be at risk. Although having a history of adverse mental health is a risk factor, there were quite a lot of young people who did not have a history of anxiety and depression but remained at risk. And I think that's really important when we're thinking about prevention and who we should target and taking a much broader approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, suicide is just, it's so complex and it, it must be really, yeah, difficult as a researcher trying to find those little, um, you know, ways to sort of prevent it. But it sounds like you found some really interesting findings, especially with that 90 day window yeah, absolutely. It's been very valuable to communities. A lot of them um, who have come come to me during a, a suspected cluster want to know how long um, should they be intervening and, and what is that critical window and being able to give them some evidence to support that's been very helpful for them with their planning. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, from, from the findings that, that did come out of your research, um, do you believe that they might have any positive implications um, in terms of preventing suicides in young people or perhaps changing the way we approach suicide prevention? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the research and the findings that were conducted um, throughout my PhD have important scientific implications to the way that we conduct research. Um, particularly the methods that were used have filled some really important gaps in our understanding of suicide clusters. Um, but of course, for communities, it also has really important implications. And that's particularly around taking um, that window of opportunity during those first 90 days, um, broadening who we, we perceive to be at risk. So we're not just looking at individuals that have um, a history of mental ill health, but actually looking at the types of information that they've been um, exposed to, such as the method of suicide, and perhaps using that to hone in um, on individuals that, that may need additional support. Um, and then, of course, looking at the geographic proximity and how we can, can address that in communities that, um, that have been exposed to a suicide. So it's been, yeah, quite a lot of implications there. 
Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's great to hear. It's always good that, you know, we're getting one step closer, I guess, to, to getting better at preventing suicides. And yeah, hopefully one day they reduce a lot and we see that reduction. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know that you are continuing to work in the suicide prevention field, but has your PhD led to any further studies within the same area or is your research now taking a different avenue? Yeah, so um, my current role at the Telethon Kids Institute um, continues to focus on youth suicide prevention. Um, and I'm very much continuing continuing research in the suicide cluster space um, and, and bridging, I guess, the research that I did in my PhD. So during my PhD, it was very much focused um, on kind of the what and the why suicide clusters are occurring and operating. Um, and in my current role, I'm now moving away to, to more, I guess, those how questions. So how can we prevent them? And how can we support communities that have been affected by a suicide cluster? Um, so one of the pieces of work that I'm doing now is working with the community here in South Perth to evaluate a postvention response, um, which is being driven by police who respond to a suicide and providing um, referral to a support service for all individuals who have been exposed to suicide. Um, and I've also received a fellowship um, here in Western Australia to, to look at the role of access to healthcare services in communities that have been um, affected by a suicide cluster. So it's really rewarding to see kind of that, that early research now bridge its way into a much broader program um, that's making a difference in communities. Yeah, it's it's good to hear that. Yeah, your work is is sort of um, yeah directly involved with the community as well. I'm sure our Rotarians especially would love to to hear about all of that. Um, and you know, since they are, um, you've probably seen them around quite a bit um, at different events. You know, pre presenting your work and all of that. And I know that they're very impressed with what you do. Um, I guess maybe could you comment on how um, this Rotary supported scholarship may have helped you in your research career? Yeah, well, you know, when I was considering doing a PhD, it was on a, um, a, a different topic altogether. But then, um, you know, having um, contact with the Smithton community and and hearing about the, their concerns and their needs, it really shaped kind of an entirely new um, program of research. So that's kind of the first, I guess, impact is that um, being on the ground and speaking to um, Rotarians who are really leaders in their community and are quite aware of what's going on has really helped me um, find kind of an area where I can make a difference through my research. Um, and I guess the, the other really beneficial um, part of being involved um, with Australian Rotary Health um, has been literally connected to individuals who are on the ground and wanting to take up evidence and transform that into practice and change in the community. It's one of the most rewarding things that I can um, come across as a researcher is to be able to um, provide evidence to individuals who are then out there and using that to make a difference. And it's been a really rewarding experience. Yeah, well, yeah, as I said, yeah, um, what you're doing is very important work. And um, I'm sure that the Rotarians are, are going to love hearing this podcast today as well, like to hear about all the research findings that have come out of their hard earned, um, you know, fundraising and donations. So, yeah, thank you for taking the time to, to join me today. And I guess was was there anything that you wanted to add that maybe we didn't cover today? Yeah, look, um, 
Not really. I think I would just, you know, like to thank Australian Rotary Health in Smithton and also um, Moreland Rotary in Victoria, who's all been very supportive throughout this entire journey. And um, I think that's, you know, it's been one of the driving forces behind um, the research that I've been doing. And yeah, just very grateful. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks again, Nicole. It's been great to have you on. Thank you. That was the 45th episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. It's always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. If you can, please support important mental health research like Nicole's by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time. Thank you.